welcome back to the Coaches Rising podcast. Today, we're going to continue this conversation about adult development theory and the recent criticisms of it. I'm joined today by Shaquille Smith, Dana Carmen, and Valerie Livesey, and each of them have had a long relationship with this theory. And so we'll be exploring today how has their relationship changed with it over time from when they first came into contact with it to how they hold it now? What ways do they see that it might need to evolve? And so we'll tap into different subjects today, things like the power of Eros. We'll talk about fallback, this way that we can descend at moments in our lives. We'll talk about how we can hold adult development in ways that are overly strategic and this notion of can we even make development happen? A bit more about my guests. So Shaquille Smith is the Vice President of Organizational Culture at the Fetzer Institute, where she's tasked with leading efforts to foster a culture that is spiritually grounded, reflective of a community of freedom, diverse and inclusive, and growth-oriented. She has a master's degree in public health and a doctorate in adult education with a focus on organizational development from the University of Georgia. And she works with individuals and groups as an action researcher interested in the evolution of consciousness in adults. Dana Carmen is an expert in human development and organizational transformation. Since 1984, he's worked as a senior advisor, consultant, and coach to leaders of more than 200 visionary organizations on five continents. He's also co-founded several pioneering consulting firms, including Clarion Consulting, Action Inquiry Associates, and Pacific Integral, where he also helped design and birth groundbreaking programs. Valerie Livesey is a coach, author, and facilitator. She's the founder of Ghost Light Leadership, and she is a deep student of human development specifically adult development and this notion of fallback in adult development, which is when there is a complete loss of options and capacity and access to behave and feel at the kind of developmental level we might normally operate. Valerie also holds a PhD in leadership studies from the University of San Diego and is author of Leaving the Ghost Light Burning, Illuminating Fallback in Embrace of the Fullness of You. All right, let's dive in. Here is the podcast with Shaquilla, Dana, and Valerie. All right, so I'm uh, really excited about this conversation. How are each of you doing, first of all? Doing great. Happy to be here. Thank you. Yeah. I'm grateful for the invitation to, to be uh, with you three this morning. I, I just find myself smiling from the inside out to be with the three of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm. Uh, me too. And w- we uh, are together because of uh, there has been, you know, um, kind of in the field recently um, discussions on adult development theory. And, um, you know, some people have been um, on the critical end of that, people like Dave Snowden. And, and I think it's kind of created a very interesting series of conversations that I've seen. And, and that's why we're here today. And each of you has had uh, an intimate and, and um, kind of long experience with adult development theory in your own right. And, uh, you know, I think what we're going to do today is explore, like, how, how has your own relationship with this theory evolved over time? 
how are you kind of holding this theory right now? What, where might you feel you still love this theory and, and it's, and it's brilliant and it has so much to offer? Where might you be questioning how people have held or you have held this theory? And I have a feeling that this conversation, you know, is going to be uh, like what I would call like a living conversation. Yeah. You, we're, we're probably going to be sharing our own personal experiences. And um, I actually would like to begin by asking, how did you all meet actually? Like, first of all, because there's a, you, you three are here, but why are you three here? You know, why not to, you know, a different constellation. Mm-hmm. That's such a profound question. Why are we three here? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Dana, why don't you take that one? Why don't you talk about our origin story? Well, we're, we're all, we're all friends of Bill Torbert. And we met, oh, 12 years ago, at least. And Shaquille and I met at at one of Bill's birthday parties in Boston, and Val, I think we met in in a um, uh, what do we call it? Some week, some gathering, and we have been. It, um, so that we were saying this before the call that um, the theme of this community, and the, and I think the theme of or some of the themes of our relationship have been friendship, inquiry like develop we've been developmental friends and developmental inquiry friendship play and intimacy and i've probably had monthly calls with both shakila and val for the last decade and then they've had their own regular relationship too so actually to bring the three of us together um around something that we really care about and then joel we've developed a friendship too. So I feel like we've got four friends who are passionately interested in something here together exploring. I'm so excited about it. Mm-hmm. So what did, what did I leave out, Valerie or Shaquilla? Yeah, I think that, um, I think what I want to add to that, just to kind of put a little bit more meat on the bones is we are friends of Bill's, but I think we became friends of Bill's because uh, we were interested in developmental theory, and there was something about his presentation of that, his unpacking of it, his depiction of that, that drew us in. And I think on top of that, Bill just makes himself so available to folks who want to probe his theory and um, and him. And to I know when I first met Bill, I gave I gave him such a hard time about the changing names and why can't we be consistent? (laughs) It's so hard to track this, but just being drawn to this theoretical idea and then being invited into the space of practice, um, really living into this idea of development and action and inquiry, which is another one of Bill's frameworks and how can we actually be in that space together in the here and now and then how can we take that more um, broadly into the world so our community is an opportunity to do that and then within the community i know with both of you i there was just an energetic draw and um paying being in the community where you pay attention to that who are you drawn to explore with further without 
any particular agenda other than just being in the emergence of your relationship and coming to know self and other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that you bring that up because I think I met both of you at the same time um, at that that um, first, it was Bill's birthday party, but y'all had just come from uh, an alchemist or a work party with the, the community and I hadn't yet been part of the community. But um, that uh, I do remember uh, this distinctly that, and Dana and I've talked about it before, that there was this kind of like recognition um, and eros or interest when we first saw each other and we were like, oh, who are you? Dear person, and that's how the conversation started. And then I remember you, Val. I think you had on this um, this bright, like stunning red dress or something. And I just couldn't stop staring at you. I remember. <laughs> so, oh, you go on. Yeah, it was like like there really was this like draw. And from and I bring that up because I feel like um, one of the values or principles that I've been holding um, and thinking about in my work. And oddly enough, uh, me and Dana's wife, Hillary Bradbury, have written about this, is this erotic energy that we have in our relationships. And I think in our um, non-romantic relationships, right, that there is this um, surging towards each other that I think fuels development and also makes it um, a playful and joyful in some ways mm -hmm. and so uh, I pay attention to when I have like for me it's really important to have arrows in my um, even in my collaborative relationships and so these mm -hmm. relationships have a lot of arrows in them and it started I think from the beginning so I love that that Val um, brings that up mm -hmm. yeah and our and our journeys just one last thing Joel We've all, Val wrote a book on fallback, and it wasn't just a theoretical book. She, she we accompanied each other through some shit together. <laughs> all of health, health issues, fallback, the, this whole discovering about development in the midst of volatility, un, uncertainty, ill health, all kinds of all kinds of COVID, all kinds of things has been quite quite profound. And um, so I, I, I think I think we have some uh, tread on our tires together here. We have some lived, <laughs> we have some lived experience that we can. Yeah, speak from. yeah I think uh, I want to come back to that the fallback, and I just want to pick up actually what you just shared there, Shaquilla. So it changed the question I was going to ask next because you you mentioned um, eros and erotic energy. I love that, and I does speak to me deeply about how there's a kind of evolution that can occur and that that can perhaps be a kind of, you know, principle or one of them at the, at the heart of that. And I wonder if you could speak to that a bit more and that, that's uh, for all of you too. And just to set a bit more context to that, because yeah, maybe, you know, as we talk about this, this, these theories, um, perhaps like one of the critiques that has been put out there and um, uh, and perhaps even as a critique of modernity of our times, you know, is that we can perhaps hold these theories in a mechanical way, you know, overly simplistic 
uh, even imposing them upon experience. And actually, I've already heard all three of you start to talk about, you know, that, oh, no, we met in this space of practice, and it was about action inquiry in the moment together, in intimacy together. And, and, and there's this eros, and that has a very different kind of palpable feel to me that I think speaks to something important. So uh, I, I guess, um, yeah, could you say maybe a bit more about um, Eros, you know, and why that's been so important to you, to all three of you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, well, I love, um, I love talking about Eros. And again, it's really been, um, and outside, and particularly outside of um, romantic or the sexualized notion of it. Um, and it's become really, really an important principle for the way I think about my, my work because um, in the world or as a practitioner, and, um, and I think it has supported how we've worked together because all of us have done, like we're close friends, very intimate friends, and we've done work together, you know, in the world in terms of our, our professional work. And so it is this kind of, but the Eros is the part, I mean, we deeply respect each other, but the Eros is the part that I think that um, holds it together and that I would say is the power of it as well. Um, a couple, a few years ago, Val and I and another close friend of ours too, as part of this community, did um, an offering for a community that was around our inquiry that we were in. And um, people loved the offering, but the thing that, um, that, that we got a lot of feedback about was the arrows between us. <laughs> that people were, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like they, and they found it um, very illuminating in, um, in terms of inspiring around their own experience and an invitation um, into their own experience in a way that wasn't just um, academic or cerebral in that way. Um, and the way the sense that I make it at is um, one of the things that I've come to is that you can't develop on your own. Like our being and becoming is so intimately intertwined with relationship and community. Um, we actually need each other to grow and develop. Mm -hmm. Um, and if that's the case, I think this friendship, um, which Bill has been such a big proponent of these intentional communities of um, development, is so important. And not just friendship like, oh, I like you and you know what I mean? And you're cute, like what it means to be a friend to somebody, like positive regard, um, arrows, right, that we have in our community that, that sustains, I think, the hard work of development. So that's sort of, I mean, that's one way into it um, for me. And it isn't, it's not academic at all or conceptual rather. It really is this like deep um, surging towards the other. Yeah, beautiful. That's such, yeah, I love the way you did that, like a deep surging towards the other is just such a beautiful way of framing that. And it feels real to me. And um I think in Joel's question, I'm I'm kind of looking at the cerebral aspect that brought us all together, you know, this theory that was the basis for our, 
you know, inquiry, I think, into self, which maybe doesn't always happen, right? Maybe we just think this is a theory here that I like. I'm going to apply that to you. <laughs> but the, it was an invitation to inquiry in ourselves. And we were so fortunate to have come together to be in a space of play and exploration of how do we be in inquiry with each other. And so for me, in my work in, in this particular offering that Shaquila mentioned, I think what is so powerful to people is not hearing about the theory or even about hearing about me and the theory, but like that relational space, because in this particular offering, Shaquila and our uh, friend Aliki Nikolaides and I, we had decided we were going to bring this offering to a community. And the, um, the prerequisite for that was that we had to be in relationship with each other, working through the thing that we were going to discuss, that we were going to offer for a year at least in advance. So we were, we, we said, we're not just going to go out and talk about this out there. We are going to live into it. And then we're going to bring that to this, um, this community. And so we, when we did make this offering, we, and we entered a lot of the framing for it and the groundbreaking or ground setting for it was our sharing how we had entered into this space with each other. And I think that that's where people were able to really connect to this surging um, toward each other, this love toward each, each other. And it created a container for people to enter into that space themselves. Yeah, it was very intimate. Like, cause we had um, been meeting monthly but then we were also writing back and forth to each other, kind of similar to the, um, you know, some writing that we shared with you with this trio of folks too, just about our own experience. And so we um, shared that in the presentation, the intimacy of the writings back and forth. And it was, um, yes, almost like a, like you kind of almost, am I, should I be listening to this? Should I be here? While I'm while you all are expressing these like very deep intimacies with each other, and it created a whole space. Like we didn't start off with the theory; we started off with the the sharing, and it was art. It just changed the relational field. I I felt like. Hmm. And I want to say too that in that process, we we shed and we grew and we shed some more and you know we dipped into the deepest corners of ourselves and um you know it it was in that relationship in that relational space in the practices that we um undertook together but in the safety of this kind of love for each other that allowed that to happen and i think that love for each other infused that space um, of learning and self-discovery with others. Yeah, there's um, there's something about that love, you know, that again for me, uh, and that being in the relational space and and working with the material, living into it, that again I think speaks to perhaps some of the criticisms, but at least um, my own journey around around this work as well where how how can it move from being something where we talk about it on an abstract level 
uh, and actually like move into a living space with it, you know, where we, we, we've worked with it in our very being. And then, and then we can actually speak from a place of wisdom, you know, a, a, about this topic, you know, of, of experience, you know, and that love is an important container for that to take place for us, be it, for us to be able to open and be vulnerable and be intimate in that way. And, um, I, um, maybe I want to like do, cause we could talk about this a lot, but I want to ask this question early on in our, in, in our time together, um, which is like, could you speak to how your relationship with this theory has changed over the years, you know, and particularly, um, focusing on like more recently, you know, you might start with like how I used to hold it, but like, how, what are you grappling with right now as well? You know, how do you, what are you working with or grappling with or how do you hold it? Yeah, Dana, do you want to kick us uh, off with that maybe? I don't. I want to let allow that to, to sink in first. Sure. Yeah. Now, if Shaquille and Valerie don't want to, I will. <laughs> <laughs> I do have a thought and I, and act, it's funny, it also connects to what you were just talking about, Joel, this whole critique of the mechanistic nature of the theory. Um, and I'll invite Dana to say something about that, too, because what I was going to offer, it came to my mind, made me think of you, Dana, and my experience of you. I mean, I think, you know, when when I was first learning about it, it... um I was enthralled with it, of course, you know, and then you just take it in and re and suck it up. And, and I think this is the first level of learning something is that you just take it wholesale, right? That's, that is, I mean, that's part of it. And because you can't really critique a theory until you fully understand a theory mm -hmm. um, is what I believe. And so, um, you know, I, played with it and did things with it. And I think I still have a lot of respect for the theory because I think it does offer a way to understand um, ourself and others in our being and becoming, right? Like it really, I think we don't appreciate what a novel theory it is that adults continue to mm -hmm. develop in adulthood, right? Like earlier, we yeah. just thought you turn 18 and then that's it, <laughs> like your brain is developed. So, I mean, it, it really is an innovation in human understanding of ourselves, if you think about it that way, and not yeah. even just um, in a develop, like, oh, we all know that we change and grow, but like, like the way that our brains work and the way that we understand the world is continuing to develop into adulthood. So for me, it really helped me have a lot of compassion for people, um, you know, that they weren't just um, being stupid or hard or difficult, just right. Like this is what we yeah. tell ourselves about people when they're mm -hmm. not doing what we want them to do or showing mm -hmm. up. And so it helped me have a lot of compassion, but it, it, in my work now, it has helped me really design or think about how to design um, interventions, if you will, for systems and for um, the ways that I approach my facilitations and stuff. But the thing that I was going to say is, as you become more um, nuanced in your understanding, you realize that it's a tool, right? Like any framework or theory is just a tool. Yeah. To, um, to use, and, and what I probably suspect is that some of the folks not, I mean, the critiques are well-founded, like I have critiques about it too, but I think sometimes it comes from a space of not um, 
living into the theory and making it your own and keeping it at an arm's distance in some ways. And that's not the role of the theory. It's not the theory's job to tell you how to apply it. The practitioner is the one that's supposed to live into the framework, right? Like you use frameworks as a liberating structure. And it's the same with the theory. And where I was going to reference you, Dana, is I feel like, um, like I just watch you in your practice Mm -hmm. and how you use the theory. And you've really been a master and a teacher for me in how you, um, apply the theory as as a tool or as a liberating framework and so I'm curious to in other you use other tools like this too right like your integral work the other like the trauma work all these different ways that you kind of embody them and then um, play with them and intertwine them so I would be curious to hear you talk about um, you know your relationship to that and how you do it in your your work mm. Hmm. It's an edge for me, particularly around this question, to not start mansplaining. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So um, let me see if I can answer the question more essentially or speak to it. Um, I I have this client who, before we became a client, he's a CEO of a healthcare organization, really interesting man. And He said to me, whenever I've hired consultants, they have a framework that they look at me and they look at our situation through, and then everything becomes a hammer looking for a nail. Mm -hmm. And I just lit up when he said that, because in a certain way, he encapsulated what we do with any new theory or approach that we become enthralled with. And, you know, I, for years, I, I really am speaking with the, the voice of a practitioner and, and all both my own first person experience in relationship with, uh, with others, but then also as a coach and a consultant and have been involved in, in many different experiments. And, and I think I have some, some good stories to tell, but um, I think the thing I, I want to say um, is what I love is to let it all go and as much as possible to be able to to be able to be in in a subtle inquiry about my own cognitive bias and other kinds of biases and meet that person where they are in the language that they're speaking. Mm-hmm. And if I I trust that if there's something, if there's a tool or a distinction or, or to bring the theory out because that will illuminate something or that's where there's energy and it keeps coming back, usually if it knocks three times, <laughs> then I'll say, then I'll invite the conversation. And when I trust that, um, it's, it really tends to land. It tends the relation. It tends to become something that the client is pulling out of me, rather than the frame a frame that I'm leading with. And of course, um, to the degree that I think that this particular theory lives inside of us in a healthy way, 
um, it's it's allowing in, in the moment to me to make um, skillful discernments. It's there's more wisdom, hopefully, and more compassion and more understanding, more capacity to meet people where they are. So, you know, early in my career, it was um, from a consultant perspective, and I think this was maybe the first stage in vertical development is we live in a VUCA world, grow your complexity. You need to grow your complexity. I remember I I did a, a day thing on, you know, become a, uh, we called it strategist in Torbert's thing, you know, mm-hmm. we need to grow to meet the, and, and you know what, that's partially true. It's, it's also, it's also quite a little manipulative and it only is part, it's only part of the story. It's just a small part of the story is the ascending path. And I think what we've all been living and discovering together is the descending path and the nuance of that together in relationship. It's, it's been quite humbling. And, and I, as a guide, as a, as a coach, as a guide, um, it's very hard to, um, to bring people or to be with people to places you haven't been before, or at least you're, you're not engaged yourself in it. And, um, and I say this, I say this having watched Stutz last night on Netflix, which I recommend. What? Which all of you, Stutz. Oh, it's, okay. it's, it's a very much an intimate engagement with a, a, the patient and their therapist. And very vulnerable, very, very beautiful. Anyway. We also do that. We share uh, movies Netflix. with each other. <laughs> yeah. I, I saw, I saw part of that one. It's, uh, he's an interesting, Phil Stutz, he's a yeah. really cool guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do, do you want to like add Valerie to? Sure. I mean, um, I mean, I, I'm with Shaquille on this. When I encountered the theory, I was initially, I was enthralled and I could, you know, it, it gave, brought me a lot of comfort to see myself, my developmental journey that had come before and then what, what, what possibly laid in front of me. And, um, but, but when I read the theory, and this is part of coming to know a theory too, I couldn't find the part in the theory about that was my lived experience of not showing up with my full capacities all the time. And I wondered, am I an anomaly? Am I the only one who's falling back to this more constricted way of making meaning of the world and acting and feeling and all of that. And so I did early on see kind of a chink in the armor of the theory. But when I set out to do my research on fallback, I really wanted to tidy up the kind of frayed edges of the theory and put a bow on it. That was my orientation. This doesn't make sense. I'm going to find out something about this and I'm going to clean it up. And so I, and then we're going to have this complete theory that we can move forward with, and it's going to be sweetness and light. And in the course of my research, there was a much more unraveling that was, that happened than cleaning up. I ended up having many more questions than I did answers. And I think that what allowed me to, um, 
to to let the theory fall off the pedestal, but also to be there to kind of catch it, you know, and to hold it lovingly, was that I was in conversation with other people who loved this theory, who knew it, who walked around within it, you know, and tried it on and knew where it felt constricting and where it just didn't seem to match. And that um they could be in the the discovery with me about what didn't fit. So you could love it and also not, you know, fully buy into it, not like walk out with the whole store of clothes, um, but just really sink into that space. And then as I continued to do my research, because then I was like, okay, well, there is this fallback thing. So this exists in, um, in our development. We don't always show up with our full capacities. Um, and we don't like what that's like when we're smaller. And so let's lock that backstage. Let's get rid of those parts of self. And in my ongoing research with people and practice with people, I came to realize that is not the answer. We do not ever get rid of those parts of self. And we really don't want to because they are part of who we are. They're not going to go away. And they contain so much valuable information and wisdom and gifts if we just take the time to befriend them and the courage to befriend those parts of self. And so my thinking has really changed over time. And I, um, in this more recent conversation that Dana and Shakila and I have had and and voice, but in writing, I'm I'm regularly reminded because a part of falling back, I think, can be growing. And then a part of falling back that is also the benefit, the gift, is just sinking into those spaces and wrapping them up in your arms and holding them and letting them hold you back. And even if that's it, even if we don't actually propel to something greater, that's okay too. Um, and holding that tension of this desire to um, use falling back as a spring for, springboard, you know, that we then spring forward. Um, you know, like I remember in something that Sheila wrote, she was like, maybe it's just being in the mess of it. Maybe we, you know, shouldn't be in this focused on going forward. And there's a part of me that feels like, yes, absolutely. Amen, sister. And then there's a part of me that says, but I want, you know, there is hope in this work. And there is, um, I want to, to introduce people to a practice that allows them to access that hope and not just the pushing away. So I think that's the edge for me right now in the theory. Like I see the challenges um, inherent in the theories. I love what Shakila said about it's easy to criticize from outside um, when you're not really living in it. And I find that, you know, in this space, I can be like, oh, how does that sit with me when Shakila and Dana bring this up? Because I know they love the theory and I know they live into the theory. And if they're asking these questions, they're valid questions for me to really sink into and explore myself. Um, so, you know, the, all of that allows me to be in this space of discovery about what is my lived experience? What is my experience accompanying others? Um, 
what is this about and to not think that what we know now is what we're going to know tomorrow or the next day or the next day like we are in such a space of discovery here and it's exciting to be holding the theory with love at the same time we're massaging into you know what else it could be and and also letting go of the things that it's not that we thought it was yeah. There's so much, uh, uh, Shaquilla, you wanted to maybe jump in? Yeah, no, I think, I think that's the part that I'm living into and that we've all been talking about in, in our conversations that was coming up, just like growth and becoming is just messy. It's messy and it's uneven. And so I think that's the part to like, I mean, I think that's the part for me that the, the, theory didn't talk enough about, like I wanted more sort of like guidance around that. Although I don't think that it was intentional because if you go back and, and read some of Keegan's work, the way that he presents it, um, he talks a lot about accepting like that there's not anything inherently wrong with any of the stages actually, right? And in fact, one stage could be a coup for the mm -hmm. child yeah. or the adult that has reached that stage. It's really about um, a match between what you need and, um, and, and what you have, essentially, right? That's the way to think about it. And so I do feel like um, one of the things that I've been trying to work with, and, and again, the reference Dana was offering this too, that we bring our own like uh, fears and like, things onto the theory and desires. I think you had written that in our interchange. And I was like, oh yeah, that's true, right? Mm -hmm. And so there was always, I think this achiever-like way that we approach the theory is some of like what we're bringing to it as well. It's hard to discern anymore what's the actual theory um, and, and what is the stuff that we interpret and bring into the theory around it. And so, um, yeah, like I think there's a way for me where I've always wanted to be better and bigger, right? That I just want to have as much complexity as I can. Um, and I don't know that, that does that equate with goodness? I don't know. It doesn't. And to Val's point, I found this out in my research too, that some of the people that I was working with had more capacity than what they were actually able to um, live into in their lives, right? So it was like, like your developmental complexity didn't necessarily match behavioral alignment, if you will, you know? Mm. So like, oh, and, and it's different than fallback, right? Like fallback yeah. is a particular phenomenon. This is just like, oh, I could be at a, like technically on paper at a more complex stage or have more capacity, but if I'm in, my trauma, or if I'm in a particular context that is super hard for me, I may not, it may not even matter in terms of how I show up with people or in my life. And so again, it, like Val was saying, it's all of these little um, moments where the theory, where you notice, oh, like the theory is not going to solve or fix us as humans, right? Like what is our desire to have things be fixed? or um, simple or easy. And I think now, because I'm in my own moment of, you know, discombobulation that we talked about, 
and loss of ground, I've, there's a part of me that's, um, a, that's really questioning, um, as I had written, questioning the limits of agency and intervention, right? That we, that we can fix things in, our, in ourselves and, and work on it. And it's not hopeless. I love that you brought up hope, Val. It's true. It's not, it's not like pessimism or hopelessness. It's just um, being with things as they are in some ways, like, and I think it's, I'm going back to my Buddhist roots now. It's like things as they are, reality as, as it is. And I personally find it comforting because I don't have to be anything other than what I am in any given moment, you know? So. Mm. I could uh, just add a reflection and then Dana, I'm very curious. Um, there's so much in what you're saying, all of you. And so let me see how this comes out. But um, I wonder if um, what some of you are sharing is pointing to a shift we might be going through collectively even about some of these deep notions, you know, that we may have inherited from certain worldviews like, yeah, going forwards, you know, um, uh, being better and bigger and uh, how that will lead me to a place where I'm better and maybe I'm, you know, less vulnerable. Um, things don't impact me as much and I'm, I'm not messy, you know, so like we, we kind of messy is bad, you know, but actually I'm hearing you share how there is a, a descent, you know, and I think we should just def define what we mean by the term fallback as well uh when you can uh valerie so but, but there's there's a descent which is also important and there's something um or there's something organic in this process and perhaps we're coming up against the limits of how we can um apply a certain uh yeah again i don't know if it's mechanical or like what worldview onto something which is actually much more organic and um uh can like a question I'm hearing you both ask is, or all of us ask is like, can we strategically make growth happen? Or is there, is there a different mode of being which allows growth to unfold, you know, mm -hmm. which is perhaps, um, you know, you said uh, being where I am, you know, something that there's something for me fundamental about being where I am embracing what's here that can actually create a kind of unfolding, yeah. uh, which is actually beyond what I could ever fathom. You know, this is where it just gets into the, into grace perhaps, but it's, it's like, it, there's an arrogance in my own, you know, there, there was an arrogance in my own developmental kind of, um, how I, how I thought I could make development happen, how I thought I could help others develop. But if I actually just embrace and what's here, uh, which is there's a real art to that, you know, because we're always interfering or resisting or rejecting. But then there, there would be an, an innate unfolding taking place, which had a life, an eros inside of it. Basically, yeah. there was there was eros inside of that that felt palpably different. So, um, yeah, you know, like and I wonder if this again, I'll, I'll add in, you know, some people have said, um, is this stage like, you know, is, is that too simplistic to hold it like that? You know, that one stage just emerges after another, after another, uh, is, the, and, and, uh, Hey, we, it's very easy. I'm just piling a few things in here, putting you on the spot, Dana, wherever you take us next, uh, <laughs> but I do want to hear from you too. 
um and 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 yeah and it's so easy to to subtly even though we say it like it's like the less mature in inverted commas less mature is worse you know and then other people now pointing to how like there's incredible wisdom in each of these worldviews or stages that that we've missed through our through the way we perceive things so yeah i'm not sure if there's a question in there but i'll just see where you know dana you might want to speak or anyone so yeah for, i think what would what would help is if val spoke to what fallback her her definition of fallback i think that would create some space for what i want to speak to okay so uh fallback is the unconscious um acting, thinking, uh, feeling uh, from a uh, space that is more constricted, smaller, less options, less tools, um, less perspectives than you would normally have access to. And that normally, I think, is a big, um, I I put that in in kind of quotes, because I think uh, we talk about normally as if it's the ideal, you know, kind of where we can get to when the birds are chirping and the sun is shining and the breeze is blowing uh, developmentally. But um, to Shaquilla's point, um, where we can get to and where we often normally are is is a different um thing uh, but this is we have a capacity we are able to get into all of the rooms in our developmental house and then we are triggered into fallback and in those moments we can't open those doors that hold the options and uh, the tools and the perspectives and the complexity that we could before does that uh, allow you to go into your space dana we'll see where i'm going okay. for that <laughs> You know, the stories that you tell, Val, about people in fallback for months and years. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also want to speak to this moment to moment. Can I access my full capacities right now? And um, and so I so like in in this moment, I notice there's this dance between um becoming like wanting to come out <laughs> and often that becoming for me is fu- is fueled by anxiety mm-hmm. and it's and the more i pay attention the subtle the more subtle it is so even right now i find my i find myself wanting to say the you know wanting to say something you know wanting to be seen wanting to and I can feel that, and and it's it's both anxiety fueled arrows, but it's also fueled. You know, there's also um, like a coming back home. I put my hand on my heart, I put my hand on my belly, and breathing and relaxing, and that when I when I can make that subtle move. Um, my capacities to sense and feel naturally arise. And I feel like that's how I go through my day. Like I'm, I'm leaving tomorrow in, to go to Ireland for the rest of the year, maybe forever. And I wake up with, you know, 
for those of you who speak Enneagram, I'll give this away, but I go immediately to planning <laughs> and checklists. And then that doesn't feel good. And I come back down and I come back down into the body and I come back down into just being here. And then time, time slows down. And, you know, you could say I'm talking in integral theory. I'm talking about state shifting state, but um, there's something about this theme that I'm, I'm hearing uh, about being and becoming and that there's something here that I'm trying to point to that's much more phenomenological and it's much more relational and it's much more moment to moment. And, um, and I think it's an expression of the theory um, without putting all the, without putting the constructs on it. And, um, and how, and I loved what you said, Shaquille, in our writing about how does this affect our, our being in the moment, our relating. And there was another word you used, another. Uh, and, and so um, there's something about, I guess, what I'm stumbling my way into is there's something about really paying attention to our nervous systems. Our, my, my nervous system and our collective nervous system, that wasn't in the theory when I first, mm. or, and I've, and it's been a key to, uh, for me, and, and also for me to be able to be helpful to others to open up a space that allows us to, to access our capacities mm -hmm. for whatever reason mm -hmm. or for no reason. So. So I just want to um, say, Dana, that you, that's what Dana does when we're in conversation with him, the, the like, and I think what you do with your clients and then all of your offerings to the world, exactly what you just did there. Mm -hmm. That is not my natural inclination because mine is this, like, where are we going to? And you are in the, like, where are we right now space? Mm -hmm. And that tapping in to the heart, to the gut, to the, like, being here now, you're doing that allows me to do that, to not be in the movement, but to be in the being. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a beautiful gift of, of the relational space and just exploring what is here now, not pushing past this to get to that. Mm -hmm. I think that's a gift that you offer to yourself, but I think you offer it to all of us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and bringing the body in too. You know, this embodiment as um, as being, because so like I feel like so often we walk around as disembodied heads, right? And so even hearing you be like, okay, let me, and you often talk about nervous system thing. Mm -hmm. You know, even in your like uh, when you're talking about your schedule or something, I remember we were on a call mm. once and you were like, oh, I had all these back-to-back -back meetings and my nervous system didn't like it, you know? 
Um, and I was like, right, yeah, like that's the source of information. Um, so it's like you bring in this, um, remind us about this embodied knowing, which I think the theory, in that sense, I could see why people might think it's mechanistic or missing something because it's something that it's not um, juicy enough sometimes, right? Because it's mm. a little too, it doesn't bring in the body. It doesn't, for me, mm. I was also wanting it to talk about the ephemeral a little bit too, because, you know, I um, am an energy worker. And so I think a lot about like subtle energies and all of that stuff. And I was like, something is off with that too. So, but like Dana, you kind of are bringing in the ephemeral through the body um, and like study, starting there. So I think that's something that is, um, you know, another way in to, to um, its being, but it also is another way into becoming. And also bringing in the natural world, which is a whole converse, other conversation <laughs> that I think is so rich. What I feel uh, is that now I'm inside of a developmental conversation. Uh, not that I wasn't before, but the invitation, Dana, with what you shared invites me into a, a different state. You know, one one where I am tuned into uh, my phenomenological experience. What is it to be me right now? And um, there's a kind of t uh, attunement to myself in relationship to each of you. There's a kind of intimacy here and it feels uh, like it strips back for me the layers of um, performance. Mm -hmm. And, and, and th it's not like I was performing before. I don't feel that way, but um, there's a vulnerability here, you know, like a permission to, to not uh, to to you know to play the the role of a host you know or or just to be or to not you know uh, to share what it's like to be me right now inside of this and that's what I love about this is that it feels where it feels to me where the theory comes alive in a particular way you know where I, where it's self transforming you know and I've heard Keegan talk about well he he has a self transforming stage and um, yeah. And, and so, um, and I think that that's something, what it brings alive in me is, is that, yeah, when I first came across the theory, I remember it actually was incredible too. It actually took me out of a real, uh, I don't want to call it a dark night of the soul, because I feel like I had one of those in my more recent years that would blow that one out of the water, but it was, <laughs> it was a difficult time. And, um, and yet what happened quite quickly with myself and my friends was like, we were like, Oh yeah, I'm reading about it. But I mean, fuck, how do you actually like, what is this thing like from the inside out, you know, like, uh, so, and, and that took us into different practices uh, that, 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 yeah, maybe you're actually a bit similar to what Dana at least invited me into. So. I welcome you as part of this. Com I, I love that you're the host and I'm boggled. My mind is boggled that you can kind of pull all these threads together and guide us. And um, I love you just being in the the meandering with mm -hmm. us, the exploration with us, Joel. Mm -hmm. I do too. I mean, and this, by the way, is the arrows that I was talking about. Mm -hmm.
the eros and the intimacy and then what emerges when you're like playing with it you know mm. I, I think yeah. the play is really important here i mean i have i find that as i get older it's really hard for me to to play and to find joy and um and that breaks my heart a lot actually I mean, I have children and it's hard for me to play and find joy. And if I'm being honest, some of the reason why it's hard for me to play and find joy is because I have children. Um, <laughs> so, it just is hard. Um, and it's with um, these people and in this space of discovery and not discovery towards something, but discovery in the moment that I find so much enlivenment and just play, just like just giddiness. And, um, and it's just soul feeding. Mm. And so, you know, in a way, like I, I, um, so what I'm mediating right now is like, oh, that silence, you know, and and I and I jumped in quite quick. There wasn't a lot of space there, but uh, the importance of that space and silence in terms of being and becoming, and 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 what I could feel emerging in me was like, oh, then uh, the almost like the listener, you know, like um, uh, and how that oh, so oh, is there supposed to be silence? You know, uh, something needs to happen. You know, so uh, again, I'm just like. Um, naming naming um this space you know what happens when you can step into this kind of emergent type of space mm -hmm. so. mm. i think that's what dana was talking about because i experienced this too dana in my praxis around this is um the spaciousness is scary as hell like it like it is easier to go in with a tool and a framework that you know you're going to apply in this way and more these days my practice and praxis is similar to Dana's in that they I just use them as liberating structures and it scares the hell out of me because it means yeah. that like from any given moment you have to be um present and relating to what's happening you know like you said you just experienced so you opened up your practice for us in a minute you just experienced this moment of oh my god nobody's saying anything you know what do we what do i do in this in this space and i find myself in that too because i'm holding like org development and culture work for my organization and sometimes it's like we're in chaos and conflict or whatever is happening and um, we want a tool or a scenario to to explain our experience and fix mm -hmm. it um, and Dana you probably get this when you when people ask you to come into systems sometimes right like they want you to solve their problems mm -hmm. not to like be, be in there with them like sensing and feeling into it um, it's really it is a scare it's like this it's um it's like this edge moment of being on the precipice of something that's terrifying, you know? Um, so I thank you for bringing that up, Joel, because I think, I do think especially, you know, I imagine you have a lot of practitioners um, listening to this podcast. And um, I think so much of our 
practice is about avoiding that that messiness and that not knowing and mm. kind of like spaciousness of of the problems that people bring to us, which really most of them are very are unsolvable. Let's just be mm. <laughs> like, you know, but it's, but I mean, there are ways you can work with it. I like, like you use that language a lot, Dana, like how do you work with this thing? Um, but I mean, people don't want, people don't like hearing that. I mean, I don't like hearing it because it's a different invitation, you know? Mm. I, 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 that sparks to me uh, a, a curiosity of, of because I uh, I think through failure, and and the, and it's a question too, you know, of, uh, for example, being a coach, you know, and and applying certain approaches, structural approaches, and then just kind of feeling like this does, doesn't really work in this in the way that it's supposed to work, you know, it's like. Um, and and ca- ca- how how can one um, support another's development? Basically, live it, you know, um, is that possible? Like I do feel it is. It's not. It's not like there's nothing we can do, and there's nothing you can do as a coach or a supporter of someone else. That's clearly not true either, you know. But at the same, so so yeah, I'm just curious for you all, like how you live with that. I hear you speaking into that a bit, Shaquille, as well. Now. I'm just yeah, saying, I think, oh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go please ahead. go, Shaq. No, I was about to say, that's, I mean, I think that's the inquiry. <laughs> and I'm playing with, like, this um, realization that we actually don't control anything. <laughs> I think I was talking about. <laughs> but, um, but that we do have impact. Right. Mm-hmm. So we have impact and we have power and we don't control anything. So mm-hmm. it's like um, how, like that's been an interesting thing to live into. Like what is action or doing look like within those two realities? That's sort of the question that I've been in. And I don't I, again, I think the only way you can it's not something you can answer. You really just have to be in the praxis of it or to like have your hand on your heart and your belly mm-hmm. and like in any given moment, um, holding those different things. And that's, I mean, that is, that's hard for me. Cause I'm like you, Dana, I like lists and I like planning things and I have like plan B's and plan C's and all. <laughs> But Val, I'm curious, what were you about to say? I'm just thinking about uh, the role of role in our capacity to um, really be with people in their experience without feeling like we have to solve something. So, um, or answer a question or, or ask the perfect question, Joel, as a follow-up, you know, and I appreciate you know, your role as the host of this podcast and the kind of shepherd of this conversation and feeling like, okay, what am I supposed to do next? And Shakila and your work um, guiding, accompanying the development and transformation of the folks in your organization, being in the role with the title that this is what you do and not knowing that you don't control 
you know, what, what, what comes and there's stuff beyond our control and Dana and your accompaniment of folks um, leading hospital systems and others, you know, who are looking to you to provide the frameworks to, you know, this is how we're going to get you from point A to point B. And I think that what is beautiful in our spaces of exploration and what I am in the question of and in the practice of trying to bring into other environments where I have a role and expectations are of me is to be in this kind of space that we often are with each other. Dana and Shakila and Joel were, you know, welcoming and inviting you into this space where we can just be in the not knowing together and in the question together and in the discovery um, from moment to moment together without having to impose a framework or a definition or a this is what you do next and how difficult that is as practitioners who are hired to guide folks to to be an a companion in the mess ourselves and how, how do we bring ourselves without imposing ourselves but bring ourselves as a companion um, in that space of not knowing that allows us to come into comfort with the not knowing better questions maybe some kind of knowing you know but to see what emerges mm -hmm. cool kind of what comes up as we're talking are like the clients i'm working with right now like the today and um there's two edges for me as so i'm speaking as a practitioner right now and there's there's two edges one edge is um I'm going to paraphrase David Cantor's work, is that some of us lead with the language of care or connection. We orient around connection or relationship. Some of us orient around meaning or ideas or frameworks or alignment. Some of us orient around action. So you could say like there's these three languages, language, language of care, connection, action, and we all we all do all of it, you know, but if I were to describe, you know, I'm probably care, meaning, action <laughs> in that order. So I was with a colleague of mine with a client the other day, and they're almost all of them lead with the language of action. So meeting that client <laughs> in their language, in their cadence, in their, you know, in their concerns and uh, with respect, and rather than my ideas about how to orient, was really uh, beautiful in a way. It was, it was awkward, but it was beautiful. <laughs> because what happened was after that was fed, there was this intimacy and this softening that happened. Mm -hmm. And naturally there was this care and connection. And for me, that that kind of emergence, that kind of experiment is always um, it's awe inspiring to me. And and then in this being becoming piece, um, two teachers of mine, Joel, that you've had on your podcast before. Um, one, uh, one is Nicholas Yanni, 
um, and another people I've worked I've worked with, and another Thomas Hubel, and I watch I watch those like I'm so moved by um, both of their capacity to be to bring to stop what's happening, no matter what the content. And to just bring kindness to the moment. Hmm. And it isn't the technique in a way. It's the transmission of what's here. Hmm. And being able, like, when I almost want to cry when Thomas talks about, you know, you leave your body, like you're leaving your body, how I go into my head to plan. It was safer as you know, it was safer as a kid to be able to leave the body. That was really true. It isn't like something I have to overcome, like come back, you know, come. It's, it's creating this space of compassion to know that the ways that we fall back, the ways that we related to trauma um, were, they were wise. And and so I almost feel my like um, my fathering energy towards that one in myself that um, that dealt with my own trauma, you know, small t trauma, anxiety in the way that I did. And so I was saying, as a liver, for me, one of the things that's alive for me is I sense. And this is a becoming, <laughs> becoming being. I don't know where it all becomes one thing. Um, I sense that quality in both those those men, and there's others I could name too. And when I sense that, it it has me sit back in my chair rather than lean Mm -hmm. forward and just trust what's here. Mm -hmm. So I'm somehow I think there was some (laughs) there was some connection between those two things, but it. If there was, and I hope is useful to somebody. What I like is that just the first thing you said is speaks to me of how a theory can be carry empathy. You know mm. that you had you had this um, client that you met, and the you know they were action oriented first, and the distinction from the theory allowed you, or I don't know if you even thought about the theory actually when you were with them, but. Maybe at least afterwards, it allows you to to recognize something that's emerging. And I think I think that taps into me the importance of projection. You know, noticing my own biases of uh, that I impose onto a, a person with me, like they should go deep, you know, or something like that. Yeah. Uh, maybe they don't want to go deep. Maybe they just want to focus or talk about something that's you know. Uh, I don't know if I'd use the word superficial, but, you know, not deep in the way that I propose. And I think, um, you know, just this thing you just shared is really important for me in my own experience with, you know, this whole theme of space and letting go of control. Do we have agency, the transmission, you know, that actually um, if I'm only um, identified with that part of me that, needs to map my experience in a particular way conceptually uh, and, and impose certain maps. I know that's going on all the time, subliminally anyway, you know, you know, that's kind of like what our brains do. So I'm not, not talking on that level, but 
yeah, actually being doing that deep work to be able to to have that spaciousness and, and acceptance, you know, uh, the inclusiveness uh, of like whatever's arising and the subtlety to perceive that and to embrace it. You know, I think that is very potent and um, almost like a meta skill or something mm-hmm. for, for development unfolding, you know, mm-hmm. dropping, dropping any sense of a change agenda that we might have for ourselves, even though there might be again, like an overarching agenda of like, we're unfolding, growing, but recognizing where we are um, hunting for a problem and trying to fix something like you said, Dana, that, Oh no, this was, there was an intelligence in this mm-hmm. thing in me that wanted to go into my head that and honoring that. So yeah. for me, those are really, really important things that have helped me with my own, I think development actually. Yeah. Yeah, I think that the the sinking into the what is somehow allows us to be more sure-footed as we move forward. I mean, without intending it to be, you know, just, just, you know, feeling around in the space that is right now um, allows emergence to occur that is meant to be not forced. I wonder, you know, we're moving towards the end of our time. If there's anything each of you would like to speak into the space, actually, that hasn't been spoken, I would like to invite you to share uh, where we can find out more about your work. But before that, yeah, is there anything that hasn't been spoken that you feel called to say? I mean, just to like think of, because we started off with this thinking about the theory, right? So to go back to it is to just as a reminder that it's a living theory. Mm. I mean, as all theories are, right? Like you add things onto them and, um, and then you also figure out how to live from within them and how to try them on. And so, um, you know, I still really believe in adult development and I use it in my, you know, it informs my work all the time more as a gestalt these days than like, you know, it's, it's not prescriptive anyway. So to just remember to hold it as um, a living theory and to not um, let ourselves off the hook from, from translating it and living into it, right? The theory is just inviting us into something, but it's not doing the work for us. Mm. I think I just want to speak to the courage that it takes to live into the theory outside of the clean lines that have been drawn. And um, the courage it takes to come into these kinds of conversations um, in general, I think, and when when we are stepping in in a role, how much more difficult it is to be in the space of admitting that, okay, my performative side is saying I need to do this next, or instead of being present to this moment, I am thinking about what what is a brilliant thing that I'm going to say next, and and just being the courage it takes to just to be messy and. Um, not eloquent and 
but to, to be real um, and to live into the realness of all of us, the, the, the stumbles back as well as the, the sprints forward, which are really more like trudging, pulling it along forward too. Mm. Cool. Two things. Um, I've been mucking about in this field, uh, I don't know, 25 years. And I've seen the, you know, the different evolutions of it. And um, Joel, I want to really express my appreciation for you holding the space. And I want to describe it as a polarity between the integrity of people developing their models, their expressions, their assessment instruments, um, you know, the different, the different um, brands, right? And that there's actually a field that if it can evolve with integrity, um, can serve uh, the evolution of humanity through a really difficult time. Mm -hmm. You could say through a time of collapse, you know, what it, it is that's good about this theory. I think as Shaquille was saying, it needs us and the different players in the field to be in relationship in a, a, a and for you to be able in coaches rising to hold the space for the dialectic and the dialogue, I think is something that we all mm -hmm. care about. Um, so I want to express that. And I also um, want to express, uh, I just feel, I just feel mushy being <laughs> particularly, and I always, I always crack up of, like one of the things about Eros, at least how it expresses itself for me, is it always brings out like my mischievous side. Like, <laughs> I, like I want to say something playful and provocative and I laugh a lot and I appreciate that. I appreciate that quality here um, inside of the spaciousness and the depth. Like there's a lot of room for for play and exploration. So this has been a really uh, enjoyable, in the best sense of the word, time together. Yeah, thank you for allowing us to play together with you, Joel, and uh, for your listeners. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, it's a total pleasure. I really enjoyed myself today with each of you. Uh, uh, just kudos to, you know, my gratitude for each of you showing up and being willing to play in this space. I'm really pleased to be able to share this with people. I feel this conversation will touch people. And uh, I, I hope these conversations actually do touch people and, and are part of the evolution that you're describing, Dana, uh, that's needed, I think, you know, and the, the coming together, the community. So yeah, thank you so much. And I do want to just say, uh, is it, do you want to point people to your work? Because uh, I'm sure people would be interested. You don't have to, but, you know, we've mentioned books and other things. So, <laughs> yeah. Sure. Um, if you want to learn more about Fallback, there's, I have a new book out uh, called Leaving the Ghost Light Burning, Illuminating Fallback and Embrace of the Fullness of You. Um, so you can check that out. It's on Amazon. Um, my website is ghostlightleadership.com. And we can link to that in the notes on the Perfect. podcast yeah. page.
Dana, did you want to go? Dana Carmen Integral Consulting.com. Well, I'm here representing myself today, I will say, but I'm I'm currently um, at the Fetzer Institute, and our mission is helping build the spiritual foundation for a loving world. Um, and it's we're um, at Fetzer.org. And I love, love, love talking to people about complexity and and um, development and how to to do that work inside systems with people. <laughs> so, and you've done such amazing work. Mm. Thank you. All right. Thanks so much. Here we are. We're at the end of the podcast. Just a, a heads up again, if you're not on our mailing list and you want to stay in the loop about other things we create, then head to coachesrising.com. Put your name in the sign-up box there. You'll also find some of our other offerings, our online trainings for coaches there. And just want to end by wishing you well, and I'll see you again next time. Bye.